says I'm just turning grayer and grayer and I just started in November it's uh <laughs> engagement with the academy but uh hey <laughs> yeah yeah it's something uh, uh, it's something uh, oh, yeah man, and then another good. coworker of mine says I'm getting bigger that's it oh tell me about it check this out <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's bad. It's bad. We're doing it, bro. That's yeah. proof. Yep, we're on the on the road to diabetes. The proof is in the belly. <laughs> it's in the pudding. <laughs> hey, well now, ah, look, you just um, I don't know, spinning me out from the things you've been sending me. That's mad. Yeah. You did a thing. So Federation Uni, you did a presentation. Federation Uni here in Australia. What'd you zoom in or, or, or you got a Federation Uni there as well, Alaska? No, just in Australia. I've never uh, heard of them. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're like up the road from here. They, um, and, and Kelly Menzel was there. I think so. She's the one that invited me. My cousin there. Ah, that's mad. I, I love that you're talking. That, it's, that's uh, yeah. The, the presentation was the oral presentation for the chapter of a book that I've been invited to write. Right. I was like looking at some kind of textbook for indigenous scholars by indigenous scholars. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, I was looking at the um at this at the symbols you had there. You know, charming native pictographs. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, they they really um that I, I made up like a week ago. Yeah, but there's something in how they I don't know, like I can anyway, I can feel you when yeah, I see those, I, like uh and you know, I have a sense of, of place. It, it seemed like making making those was the best way to go could because when you see homemade symbols, pictographs that somebody makes um it's it's like in dance when you yeah. watch somebody dance it, you're seeing them yeah and i think most of the times we don't know we don't have language for what we're seeing yeah but we can feel it and it like it hits us and so trying to present to make my case, I kind of took a lead from your book, Sand Talk, with 
the each of the little drawings that you used in the different chapters. But then <clears throat> uh, my grandparents have um, four notebooks that are full cover to cover of homemade symbols mm. from like the 70s and 80s from when the pastor was giving a, a sermon the person sitting there with a notebook and a big pen um, made up their own symbols and just in like a like four inch wide by like eight inch long yellow notepad with lines mm, mm. you know just like a pretty standard notebook that you could find even today Mm. <clears throat> the lines going across i've got hundreds of these of pictures of all all i took pictures of every page of mm. the notebooks in 2016 when i went back home and just one line across of symbols and then at the end of every line in english letters is the chapter the book the type the book Chapter verse. Chapter and the verse of what verse is being oh, described in those symbols. Butter. Yeah. This, it's, see, it's that we're always talking about this this living process, you know? Yeah. The symbols aren't like things that you collect, like pictographs that have been reproduced for thousands of years. And then it's about at, the, creative at the point process. of the first European ship arriving, like that's it, cut off. That's where, yeah. the, you know, and these are things to collect from a, yeah. like, you know, from an ancient culture that remained unchanged. It's like, no, no. It's a process it's of making sense with day. of the world and changes and adaptations that are always up there. Yeah. And that's like um, that's so exciting because I look at the symbols and I see that continuity and the what like it looks, they still like whenever I see your symbols, I feel like, you know, this is something, you know, that a person might carve into bone, you know. <clears throat> I could get that it, feel it, from it. Yeah, and, but, but there's things you have there. You can see this clearly. You're you're looking at contemporary concepts there, like clearly. But then there's that cultural continuity going through, and it's like uh, anyway, that just really excites me. Yeah. And, hey, I'm listening to your talk too, and it's making me think that grain you hear is not. Um, and that's not stress. Like you, you, you changed. Since last yeah. time when I talk, like, yeah, like we usually we come in here and we're kind of cheeky boys, like, like me, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I look forward to my Arlo Yarns when we can be zilly together, and um, yeah. but I feel like you're, um, I, I'm gonna have to talk different to you today. I, I feel like you had another <laughs> stage, you yeah, know, and I'm gonna have to step yeah. up, you know, yeah. um. Like I don't know, it's so so we've been like laughingly like together, like um, uh, kind of deprogramming, you know, like decolonizing out of ourselves that that um, that 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 hero's journey, Western masculinity business, and we've been doing that through humor a fair bit, like um, talking about Conan the Barbarian, like the. Movie from the seventies that influences both. As, that are so horrible. Looking back on them, yeah. But what? Yeah, but where we where we came in was 
was with the yarn, like the only yarn in there in that film, you know, which is like kind of like a thought experiment. And it was the riddle of steel that the film never resolves. You know, I thought they might do it in the sequel, especially because they had Grace Jones in there, but no, they didn't. <laughs> That's a good one. I yeah. love that one. But, you know, um, anyway, I finished my book manuscript and, 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 and they were just about to send out advanced copies and stuff like that. And and I've, and you've sent me this email thinking, oh shit, I got to change the book now, so <laughs> I'm gonna have to do a recall <laughs> because I because I've got a whole chapter on a riddle of steel, like uh, you know that inspired by our yarns and coming out from our yarns. And I put some stuff in there. You said that was like um, that was kind of like our silly stuff, and now I'm like, no, no, this is serious. I'm gonna have to um, say do something else here this is that's that's not it now I, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna read this thing to you i'm gonna read this thing to you that you that you freaking sent to me all right it's it's just a few all right because i feel like i feel like this is i feel like you solved the riddle of steel <laughs> you, you've sent me you've sent me something that you've just dashed out like you know no like punctuation or anything you've dashed it out quick you know, off the back of, um, of of making a knife with your little daughter, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it all right it's, if I... Oh, the I, one about the yarning. Can I share this? Yeah. yeah and you're yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the email says, like, the, the it, it, it's, yarning is like knife sharpening. Anyway, so you, you've said to me, um, one must remain present with the other. And and it's kind of I don't know maybe I don't even need to read the rest of it because that's like oh <laughs> yeah because that about me, sums it up yeah but if I read the rest of it it'll make it'll make sense to put it in context but that's the core of it but you yeah. say it right up the front um and so simple and so clear and it's like oh that's the riddle of steel you know because because Conan like they're trying to they're trying to like like Nietzsche. <laughs> The, the the whole thing what is the riddle of steel and it's and it's about you know it's that whole um what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of thing you yeah. know and kind of this idea of, to... of tempering and that tempering happens in blood and pain and and trauma and it's the trauma that makes it that you know what i mean that that makes you strong and and potentially this half truth of flesh is stronger than steel you know what uh what is steel compared to the hand that wields it you know all, all these kinds of things but no and, and but here you are riddle of steel you're sharpening a knife with your daughter and you saying yarnings like that one must remain present with the other you say there aren't any answers nor questions the metal is always changing that's freaking true man that's its nature. It's fluid, you know, and I'm, constantly I'm, it's yeah. constantly shedding and oxidizing, and you know, and 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 every time you sharpen it, you lose a little bit of the knife. Anyway, anyway, yeah. so I'm, I keep interrupting your flow. I'm going to start again. Wait, 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 wait. One must remain present with the other. There aren't any answers nor questions. The metal is always changing. The knife is sharpened with water and light. A delicate touch. Years ago, I realized it's not about the knife. 
it's about the stone. A flat stone makes a sharp knife. This knife, which is as long as from my elbow to the tip of my longest finger, was only made possible with the help of a friend that has his own knife-making shop. He cut the blade out from the blank steel and pattern I gave him and put a dull bevel on it. I hardened the edge with my four-year-old daughter and together we quenched it in snow. Now I'm slowly bringing the bevel down from dull to dangerous. Then lemon juice or vinegar or electrolysis will be used to bring out the differential hardening and a handle and sheath will be made. Hey, anyway. Yeah. And I sent you that because <clears throat> in one of your recent episodes in the description, you're you're trying to like describe what yarning is or something. <clears throat> and uh, just recently, I've picked <clears throat> up that foot and a half long um, short sword that I'm working on. And I was sharpening it on a Japanese stone that I have. And whenever I work with that Japanese stone, because with, with that sort of knife sharpening, you have to soak the stone in water for like 20, 30 minutes before you use it. Yeah. Um, and when I'm sharpening knives with that, with my, my Japanese stone and my water, it's, I can't do it when any chef knows this. A friend of mine's a chef. I can't do it when I'm frazzled mm -hmm. because it'll it'll mess up the blade, it'll mess up the metal. Yeah. I gotta do it when I'm okay. And then when I start doing it, after I've been doing it for a couple of minutes, it's like I get in this place. Yeah. Where I don't have any questions, I don't have any answers. I'm just watching the metal because the, the, you gotta be really careful to not mess up the edge but also to not cut yourself and so I, yeah i just was like uh listen this to tyson because i know he'll like it <laughs> <laughs> well here we are all these analogies for yarn and yarning and we're looking at steel and cutting edge but you're doing something there like with actual yarn string yeah this is a fishnet needle that's probably like a hundred years old oh oh somebody patched up the top that it was broken oh my goodness and then this is a spacer that i just made half an hour ago outside with my little <clears> hatchet <throat> uh, that's traditional shaped it's flat on one side kind of like teardrop shape yeah yeah but not not quite teardrop it's skinny up at the top end. And then this is just string I'd put onto a carabiner on my desk here at work. <clears throat> and I'm making a net, mm. uh, the old style way, the way my grandparents told me. And it's something that I've found helps me here at work when I'm in these Zoom meetings. Zoom, 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 yeah. man, all day long, everybody yeah. can zoom. And, but you and got so big, busy hands. Yeah, it helps me, but then it's also like really poetically beautiful, you know, to make a net while we're 
yarning. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Well, yeah. you know, it's it's like that. And yarns for some, it sits in something. It's not just, you know, how long's a piece of string. But there's that, it, yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know, that's a strong message for me. Like, you know, it's that um, that idea of it, that the, um, you know, that riddle. <laughs> that <laughs> the idea is that, you know, the strength and the, uh, everything it, it's you know it, it's in the relation yeah which you know we kind of knew already but <laughs> but we have to we have to be but reminded you, of it it's it's not a i don't know it's not enough just to know relatedness yeah. and how relatedness works it's like you have to you, you you have to learn how to apply it to every concept yeah. That you know, and and everything that you um, encounter, you, you have to, yeah, that, yeah. Because in relation, it, it looks different. It looks different in every context, and with every process, and every encounter, and every. It's like you have to, you know, re recreate, redesign the idea of relatedness for every, you know, you're repurposing it for every encounter yeah. uh, in the world and everything that you thought you knew. You know, because we know relatedness at, like as this concept and in, in our cultures and in our story and we know it like that. But, you know, do we know it for every film that we've ever watched or every book that we've ever read and, and every concept that was across that? It's like you. <laughs> yeah, bro. You're, you're thinking something. Yeah, I had something. <clears throat> Oh, that's what my talk with uh, Federation Uni was all about, was um, I was making the case that for Western academic science to integrate TEK, it represents a wicked problem, and that the only realistic solutions is to try to do that on a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah. Because you can't codify that relationship establishment and maintenance mm. and that every instance of western academic science working with and trying to collaborate and, and integrate tdk it's the context that's going to make it the context of the people i i learned a new academic word positionality uh, hey you go uh yeah like it was it was funny to to learn that <clears throat> that word because that's what we do back home like that's 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 an unspoken understanding <clears throat> in the context of of all of our relationships is positionality yeah um but here we have to make it explicit. Yeah, but but we this is the thing about you know relationality and and about how yarning makes that work is that you know when we encounter these concepts, you know they come with other cultural meaning, other cultural baggage, and in order to own that, be able to use that word, <laughs> you know what I mean? 
it's um it's not even defining terms as bringing it into relation with a worldview and see that's different because in the academy when they talk about you know uh, positionality that's coming with a different cultural story that's coming with a very particular ideological framing and a tradition and a genealogy coming down through very particular postmodern kind of scholars you know yeah and it, it carries a meaning around identity that is not how we use it as indigenous scholars we use it and we cite these people and often you see that it, you know as people become more uptown <laughs> you know once they get their degree and they start advancing in the academy and they're using these words they tend to start to their identity starts to um become defined by these these parameters you know um yeah and, the, and these meanings and they're not enough uh integration with with our own story you know so you know in our way if we're looking at positionality it's it's very different because we're looking at something that's fluid and which is context bound dependent on the status of the person you're talking to um in yeah well you just even we start in the yarn and i'm acknowledging the fluid relation with us with the changes that are really uh apparent to me that have been happening with you you know and so that changes the way we are it's the purpose of the yarn not the entire thing it changes the relation freaking changes me changes me <laughs> and, yeah you know, it, it changes because i'm, I'm both part of my identity part of my identity is my relationship with you you know yeah and, it changes you know, both of us that's so, what i was saying with the, with the <clears> paragraph about the knife is that it's not just the knife that changes it's the stone also yeah yeah pretty much the only thing that doesn't change is the water and the light ah. yeah and i mean that moves through its own cycles yeah that those those energy that moves, that moves through stuff that i don't understand yeah yeah like I, I feel like I get it with the water, but then when we say water and light, then I'm like, oh well, no, that's a that's all another thing. And then their relation no, no, no. relation together when, changes my when feel. You, when you're sharpening a knife and you're trying to do a good job of it, and you're using a, a stone, a water stone, Japanese yeah. stone, you have to constantly be looking at your knife at the metal to see what effect you're having. Yeah but in order to see properly the grain of the the metal mm. i mean it's not really grain it's the grain of the stone that you're working with but it looks mm. like it's the grain of the metal the, the your ability to see that grain depends upon the quality of light that you're using to look at it yeah so if i'm using really bright sunlight and reflecting yeah. it, that's too much it's too yeah. bright i can't see the the what I'm doing good yeah and if it's just like neon fluorescent bulbs that are dead yeah it makes the the, the grain look a, a different way and so it and it's uh, it's so weird because it's not it's not an observer effect thing like it hasn't changed no. the reality of the thing but you know it, it's kind of more like that idea of a superposition this is when, when you start talking about water and light yeah our daughters are the same age pretty much so i'm talking to my daughter the other way 
because she says, you know, she's watching like, uh, you know, Barbie movies and that, you know. And she's like, you know, Barbie's a fairy, Barbie's a princess, Barbie's magic. <laughs> and she's like, I want to stand on a rainbow. <laughs> yeah. This, like, you know, when we're driving and there's a rainbow there, um, you know. And I'm, I said, darling, you're always standing on a rainbow. That that rainbow, he's everywhere. He's everywhere all the time. <laughs> everywhere. In a thousand ways, everywhere where you touch, move, the rainbow's right there. You know, yeah. it's just when there's water and light in a particular place, in a particular way, you see him there. You know, if we're in uh we're in a dinghy, you know, motorboat and, and going along and there's spray, mist spray coming up, you'll see him there. Yeah. And it'll be small. You know, it's not a different snake. It's same one that's everywhere you know <laughs> that that, yeah. that rainbow is everywhere all the time so you want to stand yeah. on a rainbow baby you're always standing on a rainbow yeah and she just sort of looked at me and went yeah but i want i want i want <laughs> i want a dress and i want wings and <laughs> yeah yeah <clears throat> but even though she's not getting it right now it's good that you're telling her that because down the road she'll get it and it'll yeah. click yeah that's it that's it well yeah so my, i mean my stepdaughter just turned 17 and it was maybe two years ago like i was saying to her like we were driving along and, and this rainbow was so close you know it's funny it's always driving when i'm seeing rainbows in the city and anyway and she's like are we going to drive under that rainbow and i'm like no nah, like you you never drive under a rainbow it's like you watch because we're driving towards it fast you know so we're gonna go under the rainbow and um you know so but of course you never reach it it's always <laughs> it's like it's moving away and it's like no nah, it's not moving away <laughs> it's everywhere the edge of it that you're seeing with that water and that light the edge of that part like uh that's always going to depend on where you stand and there's your standpoint and there's your positionality. Boom. We could call it super positionality. It sounds better. All right. I think we're going to candidate for the podcast uh, episode title. (laughs) It's like how they call it. Meta modern. Oh uh, no! Modern, meta modern. I don't like want a... it to. I don't want it to fall into that. No, I know. I like meta modern, but it's it's just too much. Like uh, <clears throat> no label, fucking third party. <laughs> too heady. It's too then, heady. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's too much. Like, and it makes claims to be in the, at this interface. And like a, a, it makes claims of of being, you know, a Venn diagram between the left and the right kind of thing, and and I don't know. And this brings us back to your paper, this dialogue, this uh, how do we integrate Western science and Indigenous science? It's not with a Venn diagram, and that's and I used to see it like that because of your countryman, um, Kowagli, Kowagli, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I seen that Venn diagram and I was like, oh, that's it there. <laughs> that was when I was doing my doctorate, right? 
And that was like 15 years ago I seen that. And that influenced my thinking there. So my positionality was coming out of some kind of third way, um, postmodern, you know, uh, post-colonial kind of way of thinking. And I'm looking at that. And I'm, I'm also looking at, I'm um, reading Barla and Joseph. I'm, I'm reading all these things. And I'm finding out that, you know, in international scientific, you know, organizations, um, you know, they have charters. And, you know, I found out, oh, really? okay, so recently, you know, they've written into their charters, you know, recognizing these international scientific organizations in their charters, they recognize indigenous knowledge and traditional ecological knowledge as true science, you know, and that, you know, these are validated in the academy. Now, I got all excited about that and I went, oh, it won't be long now. Um, we'll all be yarning. And <laughs> next minute, 2023, <laughs> I'm here. And that's, yeah. uh, but it's not true because there is the blade yeah. and there is the stone. And um, but more than that, there's the relation. And as you say, yeah, it's hard to positionality when everything's so context dependent and everything changes in dialogue. Ah. Yeah. That's why, that's why this integration is a wicked problem from the wicked problem framework. Yeah. And there is, there is no, definable solution yeah it's all a crapshoot yeah yeah so this is a this is the best that like that we can do is these yeah. yarns crapshoot's a good like, one because we're in a we're also in a context where the house always wins yeah which which would be you know the the empire the global yeah. empire would or the you know your colony or whatever um however you want to frame that that's that's the house in the short term but in the long term the house is um this mother you know <laughs> land nature <laughs> earthquake yeah. flood fire uh, hey the house all yeah. we need mm -mm. <clears throat> so i'm trying to learn how to make a round net Round net, yeah. For like, like for throwing, cast yeah, casting. Hey, that's in there. Because we don't do that up here. We we just make a rectangular net, and then put it across the river. Any time of the year, except yeah. for in the middle of summer when it's too hot, and on the shoulder seasons of um, yeah. the ice when it's breaking up in the spring and it's no good. Yeah, and when it's forming in the fall, and it's no good. Yeah, but other than that, we we set out fishnet all winter long underneath the ice. <sighs> but all our nets are rectangular. Yeah, and so I guess from my recent forays into YouTube land again, yeah, uh, much of the world uses a round cast net. Yeah, like millions of people maybe billions i don't know a lot of people so i figured i better learn how to do that uh because i applied to be on that tv show alone you know yeah. that show hey hey uh, that's bad not like not the one where you gotta be naked no 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 no, no. like naked and afraid or whatever the naked part. and afraid i ain't trying to suffer <laughs> 
<laughs> I think they people. pixelate. They'll pixelate. They do, but those poor people walk around barefoot and they get eaten by bugs all night long and they yeah, don't yeah. get any sleep. That's it. <sighs> well, it's mad that you make light tonight. So we 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 do we 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 use the round nets cast net. Oh but, yeah. Um, you know, but I never seen any of that traditionally. Traditionally, just the lot, same, same like you, them long ones and rectangle. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I mean, there's lots of mobs in Australia. They got round nets, but they're in different ways. They're like, you know, like drag through the water or put somewhere or, you know, and they, they can sort of move and collapse in in different ways as you're using them. Or like uh, sometimes like two nets, you know, on sticks and you catch like that. There's all different kinds everywhere. But, you know, I'm just talking for my own uh, family and then more, more, more the long one. But yeah, we use cast nets now, like, but um, also still the long ones that you drag across the river. Also still them. Um, but that, I don't know, I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, they always send me out, like, I'm the one that's got to swim it out. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, is it someone else's turn? <laughs> and it's like, no, nah, you're right, boy. No crocodile there today. You're, you're right. Go on there, swim him out. You take it out. No crocodile there. And I'm like, well, you come out with me. And like, no, no, you're right. You're right, boy. I'll hold him this end here. I'm like, well, just tie it off and fucking you. No, 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 no. You're right. You just swim him out there. You're right. No shark there. No shark today, boy. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man too many times i took my life on my hands like dragging that net out still i didn't get bit so you know i gotta i gotta start respecting trust him he's all people yeah yeah but uh i trust him enough to do it but i didn't think i was gonna live i'm like all right i'll do it goodbye I'll just write, <laughs> write a little note here for my kids <laughs> you give them this one <laughs> Uh, yeah no yeah so long net still mm -mm. so um so you're learning to make the round net because you've applied to go into a reality tv show yeah for the money because they give you like half a million bucks hey if you, right. if you win all right all right and then you then someone's going to want to publish your book Ah. Uh, no, somebody will publish it before. I hope so. Uh, before I before I win alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get. I'm too excited about that book. Yeah. Snow talk. Hey. Maybe I don't know. It's been pretty hard to find a publisher so far. Well, it That's is. Whole, you don't like uh, the the secret that I've learned is that that you don't find publishers. Publishers find you. Yeah. But like you they, do, they think do, if do you're diligence. approaching them, you're sending them a manuscript, then they they kind of just think you're a piece of crap. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like somehow they 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 look around and they find the things they want in the world. Um, yeah, yeah. But the universe makes you do 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 your due diligence and yeah, uh, pound the pavement, press the flesh. That's it. And then after you do that enough, the universe is like, okay. We're going to hook it up. Yeah. I don't know, man. Sounds like a bit of a grind set philosophy to me. I'm not into it. 
Okay. <laughs> if you work hard enough, if you put yourself out there, you go the extra mile, you take risks. You know, I, I guess I shouldn't. Everyone can try be to, a billionaire. You know, I shouldn't try nah, to be mysterious. Nah. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes is from Old Lady Grantham on Downton Abbey. Right. He says, don't try to be mysterious. It's the last resort of people with no mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I better not try to sound cool about uh Yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah. it was. Well, you know, you're not gonna become a like ancient native wisdom guru in the world and get all those metamodernist speaking gigs if unless you're like uh acting a little bit mysterious there <sighs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're just gonna have to play the game anyway so you'd be right other way i'm really happy that you, you're gonna go the uh reality tv route you know now that's gonna, i don't know that's I, gonna be interesting no, I have. I, I very, never watch those shows, but I will totally watch it if you're on. I have very little chance of getting on because <laughs> I don't have a history of making my own shelters, or trapping, or snaring. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like uh, you know, just with the story that you have, and the people that you've been around for your whole life, and. Uh, everything i and i don't know the processes that you that you have traditionally i, I feel like you'll figure it out quicker than uh, yeah yeah i could that's why uh, i applied but per the questionnaire that they send applicants people that are interested i don't meet their i don't think i meet their requirements oh well the other but thing I don't is know, you'd have to be away from your babies for like how long it take to shoot one of them three months yeah, and I keep joking around and saying I'm probably going to be the guy that taps out on like day two, going, "I miss my family. Why did I come out here?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> on like night two of no sleep, you know. <laughs> now you you you're talking up something else too lately with that um, Chinese philosophy. Oh, the Tao. Yeah, and this just Away. made me go. This made me go. Oh, oh, because at the same time, then I, um, I received this chapter or this manuscript from a, a Chinese thinker, Chinese philosopher. Yeah, I was saying that our old ways, mine and yours, are more closely related to the Tao, the way. Yeah. And I kind of just made that up out of nowhere when I was emailing Kelly back about what my chapter submission could be for that textbook. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm reading this book by R.G.H. Stu called The Tao of Science, published yeah. in 64 by MIT Press. And I don't even understand it. I've been working on it for years and I've never really understood it, but it sure does look cool. It, it's got some fun stuff in there about logic and scientists and stuff. And it's, 
Mm-hmm. Makes me feel good. But somehow it just hit me that the old ways they can't really <clears throat> be said, which is I think the same as the way you cannot the way you can't say the way just like in the sense of like you can't say truth with a capital T. I don't know. It just had a nice ring to it, so I was like, ah, "I'm gonna, I'm well, gonna make that correlation." I don't know. It it, um, it must be hovering around there in that in our bizzo between us. Yeah. Same same day, I I get this thing from the philosopher Christine Gross Lo, Chinese philosopher, and she wrote. She was writing, so she read uh, read my old book there, and um. And so she writes this essay that's a dialogue between Chinese philosophy and what she understood from indigenous philosophy from from that book. Oh. And I'm going to read some of it to you. Because I think that, that half thought you had, it's like I would have gone, eh. I've heard people say that to me before and go, nah, that's not right. <laughs> but then... Uh, the way she puts it here. So she opens like with a quote of mine, um, in Aboriginal worldviews, relationships are paramount in knowledge transmission. <clears throat> anyway, she goes, she says, I, I, I'm going to read a fair bit of it to you. Like just while you work on your, um, your, 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 your net making tool there and your string. Uh, so just let this wash over you, brother. So she says, uh, many classical Chinese philosophers would agree on the centrality of relationship, not just in the transmission of knowledge, but in practically all things, in ways that resonate with the indigenous views that Yunker Porter describes. The vast range of topics covered in the book embodies one of his most important messages. Our best hope for a more sustainable future may lie in shifting our worldview from one where the individual is primary to one where everything is interconnected. This message lies at the very heart as well of the teachings of Confucius, uh, Mencius, uh, Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu, and uh, Shuang Tzu. I'm probably saying that wrong, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to say it wrong anyway. So, anyway, so these classical Chinese ideas emerged 2,500 years ago during a period of great cultural crisis that rocked societies in ways not unlike what we're experiencing today. As Bronze Age societies throughout Eurasia, Eurasia crumbled and new ones took their place, great thinkers Confucius, Socrates, and the Buddha separately addressed similar concerns about their respective societies and shared a belief that the world had to change. So this, anyway, I'm going to stop reading for a second, just reflect on, uh, and just flag, you know, this idea of apocalypses, you know. So there's kind of like a Bronze Age apocalypse and people thinking about, no, no, okay, <laughs> these civilizations we've been making, this has got to change, this doesn't work. We need to be in better relation. Hmm. So anyway, I'm going to keep reading this. Um, their ideas were radical for their time and remain so today. The true nature of classical Chinese ideas, however, has been obscured. Uh, 
we often see two grand narratives about the history of non-Western ideas. One emphasizes that these ideas fostered oppressive societal systems until the modern Western world finally broke free of them. Hence the dismissal of traditional ideas seen as having caused Chinese and other civilizations to remain stuck in an earlier stage of development. Uh, George Hegel described the Chinese as rooted in perpetual harmony with nature, lacking in the sort of rationality and self-awareness that had enabled Europe to progress. Max Weber, in trying to understand why capitalism never arose spontaneously in China, concluded that the Chinese were limited by a Confucian ideology, calling for one to adapt to the world. <laughs> <laughs> that backwards idea. Aye. Unlike the Protestant ethic that called upon one to constantly work to change it. <clears throat> How could such ideas have anything to teach us? Only now in the modern world were individuals free to live their lives as they wished and discover their true selves rather than being confined by social roles and rules, by conventional norms and dictates that set forth how they must live. Then there's... <laughs> I can't believe how this is weaving in our yard. <laughs> I didn't, you didn't know that I had this. Anyway, this is very cool. But this is all our questions and all our thoughts um, from like this... this wonderful lady that i met like over like a year ago um in 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 the u.s <laughs> uh anyway i'm gonna keep reading because her words are amazing um i'm gonna keep reading until it stops like making sense in a yarn so next bit then there's another narrative, one that exoticizes non-Western ideas, seeing them as more harmonious and closely aligned with the natural world. They're romanticized as having retained a purity and simplicity that Western ideas do not. These views can sometimes be taken up by those who seek the freedom to believe what they want or to formulate their own personal dogmas to appropriate what resonates while leaving less appealing parts behind. God, I love the way she puts a sentence together. Yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? Anyway, I'm going to keep yeah. going. Uh, Self-exoticization is often an assumed and silencing part of this narrative as well. Uh, Yonko Porter describes, if you're Aboriginal, you perform and display the paint and feathers, the pretty bits of your culture, and talk about your unique connection to the land while people look through glass boxes at you, but you're not supposed to look back or describe what you see end quote she continues some such performance of identity is self-aware other less so uh, and then she's got a quote from uh uh some my um from uh diasporic uh, vietnamese um culture um so uh, so uh, they write, um, too many people believe their culture faces life's hardships with the most dignity, spirit, and wit. Every population, it seems, purports to be uniquely familiar with repression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're talking about, and she's talking about people who assert un unearned authority and display exotic cultural knowledge to an unquestioning audience. 
I just had a thought there in how I did that because I was uncertain of the gender of that writer. And I said quite correctly in proper grammatical English, as one does when one is uncertain of the gender, I, I, I used the word they. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Now, that's not some recent woke shit. That's been around since before Shakespeare. You know, if, you know, okay, if I was to say, if someone comes around here ranting and raving about woke pronouns, um, blank is going to get a, a good slap in the head. <laughs> okay, what's the pronoun you put there in blank? Like for the last 500 years of English, what, what's the pronoun forever that you put there? Because that's an uncertain gender right there. If I say if somebody comes here saying this stuff, they're going to get a slap, right? And I'm like somebody, one person, but I say they. That's the normal shit. That's in English grammar already. Don't tell me we're changing your language with your uh, unearned authority and centrality. <laughs> anyway, I just I just had that thought while I was reading it there. So I was like, hey, like I've been listening to too many people tell me like that this they them is changing the language. It's like no no, that's some standard standard English. That's some standard English grammar. If the if the things uncertain don't go don't go telling me that you'll find that like it's as old as english yeah man that's as old as english yeah freaking charles charles dickens like i tell you if you style guide from then would be saying that (laughs) anyway but but english isn't that old uh it's not one of my professors used to brag that she speaks old English and she'd recite some poem and it would sound yeah. very German, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even that version's what five hundred years old? Yeah, well it's it's not long. It was you know, just all these Teutonic sort of people marrying in. Well that'd be yeah. a polite way to say it. I mean that that yeah. that you know, I don't know. I mean old days there's raids. But I, I don't think invasions were ever sustained the way they they were sustained and like relentless as they as they were in the age of discovery, you know. Um, uh, like just because everyone had to go home and harvest, <laughs> you yeah. know, you could do it for a season, you know. And if you didn't go home, then you had to sort of kind of marry in. <laughs> and do some planting there where you were and things kind of settled and people kind of merged and integrated. Yeah. Uh, now that word integrated, that's uh, so that bothers me now when we're talking about integrating science and TEK, cause it's a bit it's, like, yeah. it's a bit like science has landed its boats on our beach and it's too late for them to go home and harvest their own crops. So they're going to start integrate anyway. Um, uh, I'm getting off but the that top. brings us back to the, the what was it the Bronze Age apocalypse when cultures were in upheaval and yeah that Chinese philosopher was saying that that's when uh, Confucius and Buddha and these other thinkers came forward 
was in the turbulent time. Mm. Not not when everybody was getting along. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's it. But even it didn't even work then. Even when, I mean, all these old empires, you it was very difficult. I mean, you couldn't, Bronze Age, you couldn't maintain a standing army. That just wasn't possible, you know. It wasn't possible at all. You know, you, there was a season for war. And then the other seasons, you, you know, you had to go home. <laughs> It's just, there's, there's shit to do. Otherwise, no one's going to have anything to eat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so she's basically just done the whole Hobbes-Rousseau dichotomy there, but she hasn't mentioned them. Um, and good on her for not. <laughs> but but you we know, are. You've got your noble like... savage or you've got your, uh, you know, your filthy savage living in darkness. Short, brutish, and nasty. Short, brutish. Yeah, <clears throat> and na- nature red in tooth and claw. Um, anyway she she continues the oppressive and romanticized narratives may seem very different but both share one commonality they describe outlooks looking for passivity acceptance and accommodation traits we would hardly associate with radical change but i love the way she writes yet these classical chinese ideas like many of the ideas that Yunker Porter presents, were surprisingly dynamic with great change-making potential. See how fast she flips that around like in two sentences? God, she's good. Much of their energy, much of their energy came from a vision of the self that challenges the essentialized notions of the self that have become predominant in our world today. Despite our living in the most connected period in history, connected in air quotes there, um, this is the age of the individual self, the personal brand, the influencer, the selfie. We are told to discover one's true self. We obsessively identify and categorize ourselves like scientists. Oh, see that that there's your positionality there, bros. When yeah. they say positionality in the academy, that's what they're talking about. The way we identify and categorize ourselves scientifically. Yeah, we have to, we have to, um, we have to collect data on ourselves, and we need to analyze that, and then we need to represent that back to the world in 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 a language that is uh, that has been identified and analyzed and categorized, you know, in this social science discipline. You know what I mean? And that's your positionality, apparently. But. That's a positionality without relationality. And it's also a positionality that does not does not accommodate like the reality of your constant fluidity. Of the fact that you you're like that rainbow. <laughs> you know? So anyway, this is why I'm proposing now out of our yarn this concept of superpositionality. We're going to have to Google that and see if it already exists. Because it would be very freaking cool if uh, if we invented that out of our yard. <laughs> anyway, I love that. So she's she's just said we obsessively identify and categorize ourselves like scientists. We who know who we are, whom we declare ourselves to be, and whom we present ourselves to the world as often feels paramount 
but many other world beliefs would teach us to do the very opposite. Not to discover, let alone celebrate or display on TikTok one's true self, but to remember that there is no I without you. No self that is not embedded within relationship. Yanka Porter, of course, reminds us of this in practice from his very first mention of the pronoun us too, an individual inextricably entwined with others. There is never an I that exists in isolation out there, independent in the world. He urges us to be mindful, as with these philosophers, that a system in which the self looms large is not only undesirable, ultimately it's unsustainable. A Confucian view of the self is not that it is one that you discover within. A Confucian view of the self is that it is multifaceted, fragmented, messy, and ever-changing because it is a self that is always in relationship. Different people and situations constantly elicit different sides of us. Russ, oh my God, this is a, yeah, holy shit. Anyway, after all, human life is governed by emotions, emotions which are affected by and affect our endlessly changing, endlessly shifting human interactions. Consider this quote from a 4th century BCE text, the nature that emerges from the decree. All right. I actually haven't read this far into the chapter yet. Like I've, I've I, gone past where I read. And it's just. I should <laughs> mention that when I was working on my undergrad at UAA, when I was in my early 30s, <clears throat> I went to this talk presentation by these two um, young Alaska Native gals that were making the case that the old Yupik ways where Oscar Quagley comes from, he's Yupik. Yeah. Um, are very similar to Confucianism. Yeah. And they presented all this stuff. But then the part that really hit me was one of those gals was up there. There's just two of them and their professor, advisor, whatever. She was explaining how in conversation, she doesn't feel the need to fill silences with talk oh and that a lot of a lot of people aren't okay with that silence and so they'll just keep talking <laughs> they'll just let them talk and listen and that one really hit me i was like oh man uh -uh. all right so, well, so that this, idea of like the Tao and the old ways being close, you know, had, has it. been in my brain from other people for, for a, what, 10 years it, now? What's missing, though, from what she's said so far is, is land. And But you know what? Yeah. I, I'm going to read this last bit because it's here. It, it, it's there. And and then, then I'm going to stop. And then, anyway, I don't know what comes next because I actually, I the last few paragraphs that I read you, I hadn't read yet. I'd only just started reading it. Anyway, so I'm going to read you this bit and then that'll be it. And then we'll, we'll um, try and make some sense of this and, um, and see where we finish up. 
Anyway, so the quote that she was saying that uh, uh, fourth century quote, uh, the energies of joy, anger, sorrow, and sadness are given by nature. When it comes to their being manifested on the outside, it is because they have been elicited by others. See, there's that uh, that fluid self, other boundary, and that kind of that uh, idea that we have of relational causation, that uh, external locus of control, rather than you know this idea of self-actualization being this perfect internal locus that we That's see. That's one of my favorite psychology. phrases: external locus of control and internal locus of control. That's it. That's it. But for us, it's it's a it's different you know because somebody can make you <laughs> wild you know <laughs> it's not like i I'm, I'm choosing to respond in this situation to this person's abuse i i can no matter what's happening i can always choose my response it's like i'll be like no <laughs> he made me wild. Never been punched in the he face. made me he made me run down the street smash that window <laughs> he made yeah, me but have you ever been punched in the face <laughs> <laughs> that's the one Yanka Porter quote nobody ever wants to put on their fridge <laughs> they always put like all these other things that I don't remember saying but they never want to put that one up and it should be there it should be there on everybody's fridge oh, and it's, we're, we're it's, gonna make fridge magnets you're gonna convert your Alaska Alaska native tree oil company yeah that one you can use that one to make fridge magnets it's just written say, down where it matters. Have you ever been punched in the face? That that <laughs> quote is written down where it matters. It it is. It's written down on all the different scars that uh, prevent my sinuses from working properly. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I'm going to finish this. It's it's just there's one more paragraph. All right. Um. All living things have dispositions. See, here's where land starts to come in through that last quote. All living things have dispositions. Birds are disposed to fly. Butterflies to seek out flowers. Flowers to lean towards the sun. As human beings, we respond emotionally to other people. Our emotions are constantly drawn out by others. Thus, a Confucian view of the self would not be of an authentic self that is stable or true, but of a self that is in constant flux life is composed of moment after moment of infinite encounters in which we're pulled to and fro in which our lives are shaped by the world of our emotional experience boom just described a complete context dependent psychology which is our way you know it's dependent on yeah. the landscape the shifting landscape yeah. of 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 the mother of the world around us of the ground and seas and sky and all of your friends and everything else. And it's so weird because I hadn't read this bit yet. And then that, that's been like, you know, like I feel us being, we're in flow together, brother. Like we're, there's flows happening here because this is how I yeah. started today. Like I looked at you and I started like joking, like how last time we were and going, oh, you must be stressed out. You're getting gray. And then like three minutes later, I realized, no, no, there's that gray is from knowledge. He 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 knows some new shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <I> do. <laughs> this is gonna be a different yarn. Arlo has changed. And in our yarn, I, I'm gonna have to change with him and move because our story has shifted. 
boom. All right. Yeah, I always I always say academia has to adapt or become irrelevant. Yeah. Well, that that bit there where she says it, it's that there's this this idea that you know this Western idea, this Protestant ethic, uh, this idea that there's a soul and an essence of a person, an authentic true self. And you speak your truth and you find you're on this constant voyage of discovery to find your true self and to speak and have your voice and speak from your true self. I hear a lot of our people starting to say stuff like that too, you know, like as if it's, it's, it's ancient wisdom, but it's not, it's not about that. There, there is no authentic self. There is no inner, you know, true self that is forever. That doesn't exist, bros. I know, but that's like the heart of what's going on today with the apocalypse yeah. is this solipsism, the centering of the self. Look at you go. All about me. Yeah. Not you. Like, <laughs> I saw this years ago happening. I emailed an elder friend of mine. I was like, we're still living in Kotzebue. This is probably like mid 2020 i was like we're in the age of solipsism man everybody's just all about the me yeah uh, and it's just going to get worse it's not going to get it better anytime soon so um well that's our context so we move with it and as we move in that context both of us with the uh with the job the task the work of facilitating dialogue between western sciences and and our sciences um what does that mean how do we proceed very carefully yeah well there's the stone and there's the blade yeah you got to pick your spots though like <clears throat> you try to sharpen your nice good knife nice metal high quality handle on a stone that is not a good fit. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to fuck up your knife. Yeah. So you got to pick your spots. Yeah. They like bad stones though. There's that whole idea of the I stone, know. stone Most... that the builder refused and all that. <laughs> Most of what I do here at work is a big block of nothing. <laughs> All right, that's the second uh, contender for the name of this part, the, the title of this episode, Big Block. But, <laughs> but what I'm doing is I'm, I'm waiting, I'm being passive, I'm trying to recruit passively. Yeah. It's like, I forget what pref profession it was, maybe being a pilot. They say it was, it's many hours of boredom followed by a few moments of pure pandemonium and panic or something like that. Oh my goodness. Kind of, that's kind of what I'm doing here. A lot of sitting around and then there's a, some crunch times where, where things get condensed. Like on this net that I'm making right in, right now, the knot, the string goes along to make the mesh and then it, comes together and condenses at the at the knot at each mesh yeah and there's all these are all interlinked 
and I know how to make a rectangular net, but now I'm trying to learn how to make a, a round net. So I wonder what that's about too. Well, you, I see all this, I see, all I see is process. You, you, you use the word passive, but um, yours, the sense I got in our yarn from your use of that word passive was more in a Confucian way, uh, the, the, something that people would understand better through a Confucian way, I think. Because uh, it's not, it's not, well, um, yeah, it's not, would, it's not you... passively just, okay, check it out. This is the last thing. She put this quote right here. Um, anyway, um, check it out. <laughs> so this is, uh, Lao, passive, this is Lao Tzu. Um, anyway, check it out. The way constantly does nothing, yet nothing is not done. Now. The way constantly does nothing, yet nothing is not done. If lords and kings are able to hold to it, the myriad things will be transformed of themselves. So that passivity is actually quite active for us. Yeah, yeah, it is. And she said passivity. I just said it because she said it earlier. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. No, but that's she was talking about the way the West positions positions our way is kind of as passive and um, oh, accepting, yeah. and that's why we don't pro. There's no progress in uh, non-Western cultures, you know, and and that's their meaning of passive. Mm, but in the way that different. you said passive just before, you were referring to your work at the university there and your big yeah. work in your life. And you used yeah. the word passive, but you didn't mean it in that sense. It was no, in I the didn't. sense of constantly doing nothing, yet leaving nothing undone. <laughs> you know, yet yeah. nothing is not done. And uh, facilitating emergence, basically, the idea <laughs> of this this Confucian thing of the myriad things being transformed of themselves, but only through your curatorial custodial relation there. That's what you mean when you say passive. Same way when you yeah. say positionality, you're meaning something else from what the academics in your institution are saying when they say positionality. Yeah. And I had enough of, a, of an understanding of our use of <clears throat> that idea of positionality. And so when I learned the academic use of that word, I was like, oh, okay, I know what that's about. <laughs> it was funny All right. to, to discover they have a term for it. That's called positionality. It was like, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we can't, we can't help. We, we, yeah. I can't hold that. I can, I can dig their definition. And I can use it in that way, but I can't hold it like that for long. Yeah. Not when I'm in true. Not when I'm in relation. It's going to shift the meaning of that word. Word will shift, and yeah. maybe that's the secret for um for this uh, you know integration of traditional ecological knowledge and science and this dialogue. It's um it's just it's just allowing for that emergence and allowing for things to shift and holding holding them in good relation at every opportunity in a way that will facilitate the uh, transformation of the myriad things. Yeah. 
doing nothing yet leaving nothing undone and and that's what they call the way and you know what we always have to have a pop culture reference uh you and i so now i think i've i think i've arrived at the title of the podcast episode would be this is the way a big block of nothing this is the way because it's a Mandalorian Star Wars thing, so I'm going to go with that. Okay. Because <laughs> then nerds will nerds will listen. Just go to work and put your feet up. Yeah. Make a net. Yeah. And look, scientists are nerds. Not all nerds are scientists, but most scientists are nerds. These people are often in the same. Uh, uh, platforms together conversations reddit yeah reddit we we have a monthly and, <laughs> so this is how we get them brunch here where <clears throat> people bring in uh homemade cookies and stuff and we all hang out and eat sweets and drink coffee and chit chat and um may the fourth oh may the fourth be with you all right no it wasn't may it was, it was before may happened it was in april anyways the new season of that new star wars show was coming out the next day yeah and so one guy here made cookies that looked like jawas star troopers and yoda that's and, it yeah i did i, I did out. do i did one star wars reference in uh in this new book now and it's probably relevant to this idea of emergence so i'm trying to tell people that they're like yes there's magic yes there's spirit but you can't you can't control it you can't harness it and scale the use of it, it you know it, it can't be industrialized industrialized industrial light and magic doesn't happen but so my reference was um you know so so like a you know as 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 it says in star wars you know like it's true yes there is a uh, there is a, a force you know in the universe first that binds yeah. and moves everything you know sure. however um as soon as you start up a cult uh with a training program that's based on lightsabers and child abuse then the galaxy <laughs> is pretty much fucked yeah anyway. yeah uh, we could say we could bend that old lady Grantham quote and say don't try to be magical it's the last resort of people with no magic oh <laughs> that's it that's it you can't do better than that I'm closing on okay. that stop talking okay. just stop okay. stop right there that, that's the one.